Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. Today, I have my friend Whitney Borowski joining me on the podcast to talk about Elizabeth Googe's The Dean's Watch. Whitney is the mother of three beautiful girls. She homeschools, she's in my book club, and she's also one of the tutors at my daughter's school. She is a friend in real life, such a genuine and kind person, and I cannot wait for y'all to listen to our conversation today. Whitney, thanks so much for joining me today. At our book club last year, you mentioned reading The Dean's Watch and loving it. As everyone probably knows, I'm a huge Elizabeth Googe fan. How did you first hear about Elizabeth Googe, and is The Dean's Watch the first book you've read by her? Thank you for having me. Well, I heard about Elizabeth Googe from a dear homeschooling friend, and she recommended The Little White Horse and The Dean's Watch to me. So I am not sure if I read The Little White Horse first or The Dean's Watch, but I've read Little White Horse a few times to my girls, and they've loved it too. So um, I've also read The Scent of Water by Elizabeth Googe. Okay. I would love you to read A City of Bells. I just did it on the podcast, but it's by her. And I think that you would like it. It's about, I think I told you about it. It's a cathedral town and it's someone starts a bookstore. So I have a a vast collection of Elizabeth Googe. I haven't read them all, but I think you might also like Pilgrim's Inn as well, but her books are just wonderful. What drew you in about The Dean's Watch? What drew me in was Isaac in particular. He immediately drew me in because he's someone you can shed a lot of compassion on. And you can also have sympathy for him because there's he has this sense of awe about what he's doing and how much he loves what he's mm-hmm. doing. And somebody like that, you just automatically love. So he drew me in. But the setting also, it's kind of enchanting that cathedral town, but it's not so far removed that we can't imagine it. So it's fun to put, I love to put myself in that place and just think over on that. And then also the Dean, once he's introduced, each time he's introduced Mm -hmm. by another character, it's kind of in a light where I wasn't sure who he would be like. But once he's introduced as himself in particular, his own character, not through somebody else's eyes, I immediately loved him and felt compassion for him too and all of his little struggles that he had. I love that you brought that out about the Dean because I felt the same way that you did of not knowing who he was as a person until we got to know him on his own, his own story. So yes, I agree with that completely. And I I meant to say earlier that Whitney and I had talked about doing this episode for over a year, (laughs) and I just now read this for our book club this year. And as much as I love Elizabeth Gooch, this was the first time I read this book, and it very quickly has jumped into being one of my favorite of her books. So I am thrilled to be doing this episode with Whitney finally, and I just really cannot recommend this book enough. Everybody in our book club loved it. I think it was a favorite with most of the crowd. Before we go any further, Whitney, can you give a quick summary of the Dean's Watch for the listeners? 
Sure. So this is a mid-19th century town in England, and it's a cathedral town. So the cathedral is the most important part of the town to everyone in one way or another. Um, the characters introduced Isaac is first, Isaac Peabody, and he's a clockmaker, and he is a master craftsman. And he's someone who does not believe in God because of a variety of circumstances growing up. But then um, the dean is introduced to us, and he is someone who has taken over the town in a beautiful way and restored order and kindness among the people, mostly order though. And then, so then the Dean is introduced and through a series of events that only Providence can create, he meets Isaac Peabody face to face. Isaac had been winding his clocks for years and he never knew him. And so the start of this friendship is the start of the rest of the book and all of the characters introduced from the city have a beautiful part to play in the Dean's own conversion. And they each have their own little conversion as well. Mm -hmm. And I love how Elizabeth Gooch creates these characters and how she fits them all in together so well. And that they all have such an important part to play in the story, even if it's not a huge part. It's, it's something that she does so, so well. Uh, let's also discuss horology, which is, we think... <laughs> The study of clockmaking or watches for a minute because it does feature so heavily in the book. It's really what is the springboard for Isaac and the Dean becoming friends. The Dean starts to show an interest in clocks and that's music to Isaac's ears. And that really brings these two men together. And there are just some beautiful descriptions of clocks and watchmaking in the book. Whitney, were you like me and did you find yourself immersed in this part of the story? And what about it was the most enchanting to you? Absolutely immersed. Yes. This is something that some authors do really well is bring in some kind of nonfiction part to their fiction story. And that's what gives another part of your brain something to think about while you're mm -hmm. pondering the story. So that for this book is horology. I really love how Isaac was compared to various clocks around town and also the clocks in his own shop. And then the reverence that he had for his craft and his art. That's something beautiful to watch about artists in mm -hmm. particular. Something enchanting, I thought, was the endless variety of clocks and all of their mechanisms and the way Gooch compares and gives them personalities. And right. you can really imagine it. But also thinking about time in general is something man-made. But God's providence works miraculously within time. It's almost as if he blessed time. Mm -hmm. And he did sanctify it in the mm -hmm. incarnation, you know, mm -hmm. so that it's itself is enchanting to think about um, mm -hmm. the way that God has ordered time for us or mm -hmm. maybe given us the benefit of having something like time. I love what you just said. That was beautiful. I had not thought of it in that way, Whitney. But also just, again, what you were saying about the craftsmanship, it was so interesting to read the book and get caught up in what Isaac was creating. And I thought, well, Elizabeth Gage, how much did you have to study this? And it's so interesting. She had a little bit of, I think, a background in arts and crafts. She was sent to an art school, I think. So I think that she really brings that in, that respect for art mm -hmm. into her writing. And it's just delightful. The story is so refreshing for its depiction of friendship by a Christian and a non-believer and someone who has been harmed by the church, and that would be Isaac. Whitney mentioned in Isaac's background, he had a father who was a minister who 
was just a very legalistic man and, and did not have an understanding of, of God's love and certainly didn't bring that out in his ministry. And it affects his two children. So Isaac has a sister named Emma, and she has become a devoted follower, like a disciple of her father. So she's trying to preserve everything in his memory. And, and Isaac has done everything in his power to rebel against his father. And one of those ways is completely by turning his back on the faith he grew up in. So within this, there is such a picture between the dean and Isaac of respect and love between these two friends. How can this friendship be a model for us as Christians, Whitney? Well, the dean sees Christ in Isaac, of course, mm-hmm. at first, but he approaches their relationship with genuine interest in Isaac's expertise. And this is their common ground mm-hmm. and the place from which the Holy Spirit can then operate. And I think that we can mm-hmm. do the same with mm-hmm. anybody that we meet is find that common ground and then mm-hmm. allow the Holy Spirit to work. And I think that she captured that beautifully mm-hmm. in their relationship. It's not a forced relationship. No. The dean really cares about Isaac, no matter what. Isaac chooses whether he's going to follow in the the path that the dean is hoping that he'll follow in and coming back to his faith or whether he's going to continue to reject it. The dean is just showing him God's love. He's just being himself. As I said, it's not forced. It's just this very beautiful relationship. In a minute, I had written down to incorporate a quote that I loved that it was a conversation between these two friends, but I'm going to wait until we get to our favorite quotes and I'm going to share that then. But it's it's a beautiful moment where the dean is extending grace again to Isaac and showing it to him or trying to offer it to him in a way to counteract what he grew up with, but it's just very beautiful. So I'll just leave that little teaser and reserve it for, for a little bit. I want to talk about the dean a little bit more right now. He is a man of deep conviction and faith, and I'm sure a favorite character of yours as well as mine. And while he has a stern appearance and can come across as gruff, uh, that's why I was not quite sure about him at first, he is a man who loves the town, the cathedral, and its people deeply. His faith in God comes to affect everyone in the story so beautifully. What stood out to you the most about the dean's faith, Whitney? Well, I thought it was interesting how deeply the dean loved the Lord, Mm -hmm. but dreaded the job of being dean until his conversion. He hated preaching. He hated leading the prayers because he felt clumsy and uncomfortable, and he felt like the people were bored. And Mm -hmm. until his conversion, when he doesn't care about that anymore, Mm -hmm. he just sees the town in front of him. I thought it was interesting the way that was also converted within Mm -hmm. him. And then once he realized what he could do for the people... That was a beautiful part, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought his habit of prayerfulness and then steadfastness, those are the things that we could look at and say, no matter what happens, if we have a habit of prayerfulness, then mm-hmm. no matter the time of day or what situation, mm-hmm. that's what we'll turn to and do. And so also the characters in the story see that in the Dean and they realize oh, that's what faith is. You know, Mm -hmm. they each have a different picture of faith, but they watch it in him finally when he's able to be out more or realizes he should be out more. And then his trust, that's what stood out the most is trust that once having inserted himself in people's lives, even though it was clumsy at first or Mm -hmm. might have caused something uncomfortable for them momentarily, despite those stumbling blocks, he knew that God would orchestrate things to their goodness for Mm -hmm. all of these beautiful characters that are in there. 
the last thing was his love of neighbor. And he experiences greater and greater fatigue as the story unfolds, having to sit down and he just is so exhausted. Mm -hmm. But his love of his flock keeps pressing him forward, even mm -hmm. through the exhaustion. And then there's that trust again that he can keep going and do mm -hmm. and complete all those things that God wants him to do. And this is in, you know, a four to six week span of time. Right. And he just thinks of one thing after the other. I've got to do that right. for Tom Hotchikorn. I've got to do mm -hmm. this and that. And even though he's exhausted, he still does it. And there might be little things like you mentioned, Tom Hotchikorn. It's like to get a little brazier for mm -hmm. him so he'll be warm. They're tiny things, but they weigh on him. Mm -hmm. They're important because he wants to make sure that everybody is cared for. He's, he is the shepherd to yes. his flock. He's just very much cares for these people. And it's, it has a, a weight on the reader. As you're reading it, it really begins to transform you as you read about him. And it's not like he's this perfect man, but it's his devotion to love and love of, of his neighbor and love of God that are so transforming. That's what made a mark on me as I was reading it. So I just am so thankful for this book and really for this character that she created. So talking about characters in the Dean's Watch, there are some really wonderful and richly written characters, whether they are saintly or despicable. <laughs> There's some despicable characters. You find yourself invested in their story. It's one of Elizabeth Gouge's great trademarks. Who are some of the characters you love the most in the Dean's Watch? Of course, the Dean and Isaac have my heart for <laughs> countless reasons. Besides them, Miss Montague, um, oh, no. when she was young, coming out of her fantasy world of escape and realizing and accepting and embracing her call to love as her life's work, that's beautiful. That is a mm -hmm. beautiful thing. And I love the relationship between her and the Dean, mm -hmm. the type of respectful, deep re relationship and friendship we all deserve. And maybe it won't come for many years, but mm -hmm. they both had waited for that and found that in each other. I especially love the relationship between the Dean and little Bella. Um, <laughs> she has completely captured him in I just know. a moment and in this true, innocent, childlike love, but he's also captured her heart and he has a certain command over her that she needs in her mm -hmm. life too. Polly, she was absolutely essential to this story. She brought that lightness and mm -hmm. cheerfulness in an otherwise deep and heavy story and without her we would have just been down alone. she so she is the kitchen maid of isaac and his sister and she was an orphan that they took in to be their kitchen maid and she just is one of those cheerful characters who who just is motherly even though she's very young she's motherly to all the characters and i think when she first sees the dean she just wants to adopt him she as took like him to her bosom yes, yes. so she's yeah. just very carefully watches over the people that are entrusted to her care. yes yes the one other character that a lot of people would love to hate was Elaine, the Dean's wife. To me, she was fascinating because she broke my heart completely and mm -hmm. how, how she despised her husband, mm -hmm. despite his unwavering love for her. And the reason why I loved her was after his death, Elaine visits Miss Montague and we see her conversion finally. And we mm -hmm. learned that the Dean had to die in order for her to rise mm -hmm. or awaken or be born again in some mm -hmm. beautiful way. Mm -hmm. So I really loved her too. I, I thought she was very interesting. I really respect that character as well. And for those reasons that you said, Whitney, and I think it would be so interesting if this were a real world to see Miss Montague 
and Elaine's relationship as Elaine matures. But she's a very beautiful character, physically beautiful, and the dean is enamored with his wife. She likes being worshipped by him, but she doesn't love her husband. And she kind of puts up with him and enjoys the position that she has as his wife. But she is ultimately redeemed at the end. And it's beautiful to see that as it progresses. And also, I wanted to touch on Miss Montague for a minute, because I, that chapter, it's early on when there's a description of her and she's this elderly woman who lives in the town. She's well-to-do. She's mm-hmm. wealthy. And she has some sort of injury or something. Her back, I thought it was. She had been injured as a child, fell down some steps right. or something like that. Yeah. Something with her. Is it her leg and her back? I think so. Okay. Yeah. There's something, some injury that she has had that she has to live with. And it's very painful. And it prevents her from ever getting married. And she has the temptation to feel sorry for herself. But she allows God to beautifully work in her life and in spite of her suffering to decide to love and to make herself available to the people in the town for them to come and visit her and just to show them love. And it's this beautiful way that it is depicted in the story. And that chapter with her, her description of her of life is just it was also a transforming moment when I read that. So the whole thing is just lovely. <laughs> I didn't have this in the questions before, but the despicable character, one of the despicable mm. characters is Isaac's sister, Emma. Yes. Heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Despicable. Yes. Because yes, at first you were tempted to mm-hmm. dislike her. Mm-hmm. And dismiss her. Right. Right. Because you want her out of the picture as much yeah. as you can. But the dean does take time with her mm-hmm. and he is respectful of her. And she does some terrible things in the book, but it is also beautiful, the redemption that is given to her as well. So once the dean saw her standing in front of the portrait of her father, he mm-hmm. understood her immediately and what her ailment really was. Mm-hmm. The ailment of her soul is being under her father's dark stare and the mm-hmm. way he lived his faith. So she had no opportunity mm-hmm. to develop her own and mm-hmm. grow. Yeah. it. She, But her in the end, I think mm-hmm. it will work out all right for her. I think yeah. so. I think it will. I mentioned earlier, but she has this like devotion to her father's memory. She's trying to hold on as much as she can to his legacy. She's trying to preserve his legacy at all costs. And it's very detrimental to her life and to her brothers. Yes. I love Elizabeth Gouge's writing so much. It's so peaceful and calm. It is truly balm for the soul. Do you have any favorite quotes from the Dean's Watch, Whitney? My favorite is much obliged. The (sighs) Dean says this at the end of every conversation, no matter who he's talking to. And it is such an attitude of grateful courtesy. You know, he's grateful for anything anyone has said, the time that they've Mm. given, anything they can do. Much obliged. I love that. It wraps him up, really. It's like this humble, beautiful little bit. You know, Whitney, I had not picked up on that when I read it, but I've read it one time. Whitney has read it three times. I'm so glad you brought that out because we keep talking about the Dean's love for people and the time that he takes with people, Mm -hmm. but it really is. He really 
does care for them. They're not wasting his time. Mm-hmm. The very small interactions that he has with them, he, he really takes it to heart. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that, Whitney. Do you have any other quotes? I do. I have, I have a section. Okay, she I don't has a have section. A quote. The section is, the dean has just come for afternoon tea, and I think it's unbeknownst to Isaac and Polly. So Emma is out for tea herself, and the dean shows up because he wants to talk to Isaac about something. And so he's sitting at the kitchen table, which is not the fancy dining room, just at the little kitchen table with Polly, the kitchen maid, and Isaac. And he notices, the dean notices a little carved wooden bird. And it's beautifully carved and detailed and a piece of artwork. And um, so the dean is looking at this bird and he says, is this yours, Isaac? And Isaac says, no, it's not mine. It's Job's. And Job is a young man who desperately loves Polly. He's an orphan Mm -hmm. as well. And he's been um, apprenticed to a horrible fishmonger. And so his life is really miserable. But he loves Polly and Polly loves him and she's the light of his light. So anyway, he carves these birds for her and then he brings them to her and one was sitting on the kitchen table and the dean looks at it and he's just really in awe of the craftsmanship of this bird. And and here's the part. It says, Job made them, said Isaac, raising his voice. That boy there, Job Mooring. The dean turned his gaze on the boy, his hand still absentmindedly behind his ear, his sad eyes kindling. Job Mooring, he repeated. Job Mooring. The reiteration had an extraordinary strength about it, like the grip of his hand on Job's shoulder long ago. It gave back the lost identity, and Job lifted his head and looked straight across the table at the dean. It was years before he was to realize that a sense of identity is the gift of love, and only love can give it. But for the rest of his life, he was to remember this moment and be able to recall it at will, the tones of the harsh, deep voice, the kindling in the eyes. It was the moment when life began for him, real life, the life of spirit and of genius which his world had foreshadowed. Years later, when silence was called for him and he rose to make his first speech as master of the clockmaker's company, he was suddenly back again in the city in the Fen country, hearing his name spoken by the old dean. He sat tongue-tied, his face white, but as vividly alive as white flame. That is my favorite scene of the whole book. And I think because it includes some foreshadowing, of course, mm-hmm. you know, so that you know things will turn out all right mm-hmm. for Job. But what it so completely reminds me of is the morning of the resurrection when Mary Magdalene is looking for Jesus and mm-hmm. she's looking in the garden and she can't find Jesus anywhere. And she thinks that the gardener is Jesus. And she says, where is he? Where have they taken my Lord? And mm-hmm. Jesus says her name. Mm -hmm. And the way he says it, it gives her Mm -hmm. that complete knowledge of who Mm -hmm. he is, but who she is. And so for me, that moment of hearing my name said, perhaps one day in heaven is the most exciting thing of all. And it reminds me of this part in the story where the name gives the identity and the love Mm. to someone. Oh, Whitney, that was beautiful. I am so glad you, you brought that up. I had not even connected the two, and that was just a beautiful description. And I'm so glad you shared that. I will be pondering that for quite a while. I'm going to share real briefly one of the parts that I was talking about earlier, and I hope I can read it as beautifully as Whitney, because... (laughs) 
I don't know if you heard, we're, of course, in the same book club, but Rachel Atkinson, who's been on the podcast before, is in the book club, and she was talking about reading this out loud to her kids at night. That was one of the things that they were doing as a read aloud. And when you were reading it aloud just now, it's just, like I said, her words are just balm. It's just so comforting. I love to hear it read aloud, and I wish that someone would do an audiobook of Elizabeth Gouges' books. I think you should do it. <laughs> Someone needs to. (laughs) Our book club will do it. So the dean and Isaac are talking. Throughout the book, Isaac has been making this one clock he calls the celestial clock, and it is a work of art. And this is the first time I believe that the dean sees it. And they're talking about the cathedral, which Whitney mentioned has such a big role in, in the life of the town. But Isaac is terrified to ever go there. His father, who was abusive, wanted to make him go there one day and he was afraid to go and his father just beat him and this this fear of the cathedral has just lingered throughout his life and there's a clock on top of the cathedral I believe of of St. Michael Michael. Mm -hmm. and he's always interested in this clock Mm -hmm. but he's too afraid to go in it and so the dean is trying to talk him through this fear of God and trying to undo the terrible work that his father had done on his life. He's just, he's trying to give him a true picture of God's love. So I will read this real quickly. I'm hoping, (laughs) I marked this a long time ago, so I'm hoping that it will be as wonderful as when I first read it. So they're talking and the dean says to Isaac, and no doubt as a boy, you hated God as much as you hated your father, said the dean calmly. But all your hatred, Mr. Peabody, God took into his own body that it might die with him. You now are free of it. I don't believe in God, said Isaac obstinately. I wish I could believe you, said the dean. I should be thankful to believe you had parted company with the God of your boyhood. But I fear he is with you still in a darkness that shadows your mind at times. Disbelieve in him, Mr. Peabody. Believe instead in love. It is my faith that love shaped the universe as you shaped your clocks, delighting in creation. I believe just as you wish to give me your clock in love, refusing payment, so God loves me and gave himself for me. That is my faith. I cannot presume to force it upon you. I can only ask you in friendship to consider it. I believe I have your affection, Mr. Peabody. You are aware, I think, how deeply you have mine. I I just love that of how he shows him the truth of God's love and counters that horrible upbringing that he had without negating the fear and the hatred that he has has felt over the years. So I just love those quotes. <laughs> yes. And that part goes especially with the very end of the story when we start talking about that. I'm I know. glad you picked that because that's I know. exactly I know. what the dean is talking about. Right. Yes. And there's, there's another quote that I have to reserve for a spoiler territory in just a minute. And it is my favorite quote of the whole book. But one more question and then I'll get to that and it will be spoiler <laughs> territory. At our book club meeting, you mentioned the many things you've gleaned from multiple readings of the book. You're up to three readings, which I have mentioned before. What were some of the things you gleaned? I especially want you to share what you said about the cathedral during our book club. And how did the book become richer over these multiple readings? 
First of all, I was kind of afraid to read it again the second time because <laughs> after the first time I closed the book and I thought there is not going to be another book like this. This is just the best book. And so I was afraid to open up the book again the second time, but it was even better. And then the third time was even better than that. So this is not a book that will get worse as you reread it. The second chapter in the book called The City, that tells the history of the city. And in particular, rereading this book, that chapter becomes more apparent throughout mm. the story. So all of those characters they introduce in the second chapter, the history of the story, all those couple hundred years, they all come back in the story, and particularly in ways that they're compared to current characters. So when they compare Miss um, Montague to Duchess Blanche or someone like that, you know who she's talking, mm -hmm. who, who Gooch is talking about at that point. So having read that chapter, that second chapter again, three times now. It's um, it's exciting to say, oh, I remember that part. I remember who that, that historical character was that was introduced long, long ago in the story. So that's been something that's been neat about each rereading. The role of the cathedral, that's apparent upon the first reading, I think. The cathedral really is each person's faith. Mm -hmm. So for Isaac, the cathedral, his faith was very harsh and mm -hmm. angry. For the dean, he loved the cathedral. He loved everything about it. It was his life. And then you think about Miss Montague, who also loves the cathedral, and she's carried there on a bachelor, you know. <laughs> but each person, there are different quotes throughout, and they're usually small little bits. And you could say, oh, that's their faith, mm -hmm. because it's in reference to the cathedral. So it's easier to understand mm -hmm. the characters. When you mentioned the history, that was fascinating for me. And there was the one man... It's when Henry VIII is destroying the monasteries. Is that correct? And it's the one man who has all of his monks leave, and but he is so heartbroken to leave the cathedral. Yes, it was an abbot. Yeah. And I, okay. Yep. I don't remember his name. I don't I'm either. Sorry. But he has a very tragic ending. I won't spoil it. But he's referred to throughout. I can't remember who she says is is like him but it it is interesting how she continues that but it, just the way she describes that the history of the cathedral and how much it goes through over time and yet it's still standing and it's still being used to minister to people it's just a beautiful way that she has with working that in there and even those 4 to 6 weeks that the story mm -hmm. takes place the cathedral becomes different for people right. than it was mm -hmm. at the beginning of Advent mm -hmm. when this or the end of November when mm -hmm. this story opens. By the end, there are people at the cathedral Christmas Eve service that had never been there before or hadn't mm -hmm. gone in years. And so mm -hmm. within that short time, the cathedral has changed for them and therefore their faith has changed. Right. Yeah. You just mentioned the season that it takes place in. And I, I mentioned this in the City of Bells episode, but Elizabeth Gooch really works the liturgical year in with her mm -hmm. books. And this is a great book to read anytime, but especially in Advent and Christmas time. So read it now and then reread it again yes. then, because it's just so cozy and contemplative and wonderful and delightful. And you just will get so much. You will glean so much from that. And I will probably read it again next year. About yes, that time. Should. <laughs> okay. We are going to slip into spoiler territory for a minute and discuss the end of the book. The Dean's Watch is unusual for Elizabeth Gouge books that I've read because there is a death at the end. And I, Whitney, was heartbroken by this. It is 
again, this is a spoiler, so stop if you do not want to hear any more and fast forward a little bit to the end when we pick up with our literary questions. But it is the dean. And and she you're not shocked by it. You know that it's coming. He has a heart condition that is discovered and he's told to slow down. And because of his great love and his care for everyone, he does not. He continues to work himself to death for the love of his friends. But I, in particular, want to discuss Isaac's visit to the cathedral at the end. As a reader, I had waited the whole book for him to go to the cathedral, and I thought that he would go at the Christmas service, which the dean had invited Isaac to. And it's a beautiful moment in the book when the dean, he just doesn't even have his notes. He just goes off cuff and does this beautiful sermon on on love. But Isaac is not there. And I was so sad because I was hoping he was going to be there. But he goes after the dean's death. And when he finally goes, it isn't what he expected. So let's discuss this part of the book and those beautifully haunting words, my favorite lines in the book that are written by the dean. It's what he leaves for Isaac. And he writes, I leave to Isaac Peabody, my watch. He has this beautiful watch that Isaac delights in when he has to repair. And he says, I leave to Isaac Peabody, my watch and my faith in God. There is so much here about the care and responsibility that we as Christians carry for people. Whitney, what are your thoughts on this section and on this line? Well, it's interesting because when Isaac finally goes to the the cathedral, this is early February, so Mm -hmm. about six weeks after the dean has died, and Mm -hmm. I keep wondering what were those six weeks like for Isaac? Was he in torment? Mm -hmm. He hadn't been comforted by the dean's will Mm -hmm. yet and his watch. He just received it the day Mm -hmm. before. So sometime in February, he gets this watch. I leave to Isaac Peabody my watch and my faith in God. And... This was written by Elaine, which is also something to mm-hmm. ponder too, you right. know, that she has carried on that relationship and what mm-hmm. her husband would have wanted. But Isaac is immediately obedient and he right. goes to the cathedral right away, just as the dean intended him. I think it's really funny because he can't figure out at first how to open the door. And he's <laughs> like this child that's so consumed right. in this experience, in this moment of not knowing how to get in. And then I think he knocks and then help comes from within. Mm -hmm. So that's something to ponder too. You know, Mm -hmm. we're trying to get in and all we need is the Holy Spirit to let us Mm -hmm. in, you know. And once he gets in, he doesn't look up at all. I noticed that, that he keeps his eyes Mm -hmm. down. He's watching the paving stones as he's walking in the church and And I keep thinking, just look up for a minute. (laughs) Just look up and be drawn in. But he will not look up. And so he sits down in this one pew where there's some sunlight coming through and it's shining on his feet that are on the paving stones. And he feels comfortable in that Mm -hmm. light. And then he kind of lets his eye wander forward a little bit and he sees the marble slab of the dean's tombstone Mm -hmm. is right there Mm -hmm. in the church. And the light is shining on that also. Mm -hmm. So now they're connected again. And Isaac says, if the sun is shining on me and on that part of the Dean, then it's okay. I'm all right. Everything's Mm -hmm. okay. And he takes great comfort in that. Um, And then looking, he stops and looks at the Dean's watch again in his pew. And that leads him out of his pew to see the St. Michael clock. He finally Mm -hmm. looks up and I thought it was beautiful. He was so awestruck and completely drawn into the cathedral Mm -hmm. because of the clock. 
And so the artistry and craftsmanship, mm-hmm. all those things that Isaac is, that brings him to God. Mm-hmm. And you think about God, the creator, and here's mm-hmm. Isaac, the creator, and mm-hmm. together that relationship now can begin. Mm-hmm. Um, so love and charity, that yeah. completes the story. Isaac's conversion then has begun mm-hmm. at the end. And then he walks out of the cathedral and says, I'm going to make that clock again for the dean's wife is who he's going mm-hmm. to make it for. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's just such a beautiful moment. And it is, it's worth that waiting, that anticipation that you feel as the reader of whether Isaac's ever going to go to the cathedral. Mm-hmm. And it meets all of those expectations. And it's so beautifully done. What is on, do you remember what's on the gravestone of the the dean? It's some, it was for something from his last Yes, sermon. it was from a psalm, and Isaac could not figure out mm-hmm. why it was on there. And it says, God is the Lord by whom we escape death. And mm-hmm. that was the line from mm-hmm. what the dean had talked about at Christmas in his mm-hmm. sermon. And Isaac is confused by that. He doesn't understand mm-hmm. it because the dean didn't escape death. But Isaac has not yet had that true conversion of mm-hmm. heart to understand mm-hmm. that death is life. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I know I love that psalm, that quote from the psalm, and when the dean does have his sermon at church, it is done so well. I can't wait for you as the listener to read this because it's just such a delight. It's such a heart story. There's so much to say about it, and yet it's hard to put it all into words. So Whitney, moving on, I like to ask a quick round of literary questions at the end for fun. What is the best book you've read in the last year? I'm very excited to hear Whitney's answers. <laughs> Till We Have Faces by C.S. Yes. Lewis was my favorite book in the past year. Yep. I'd never read anything like it. I always have thought of mythology very one-dimensional or even maybe a little two-dimensional, but he's able to give a shape to this myth and examine women in particular mm-hmm. and their inner workings in a way that not many men can do, but he right. did a great job. So Whitney, we had this in our book club. It had been 20 years since I had read it. Oh, wow. And I only, I only got to do half of it because it was, I think, during the summer maybe. Yeah. And it was in the throes of going to the cabin a yep. lot. But I want to go back and finish it because I remember I read it when I was in Switzerland in 2003. Okay. And it was a resurgence of reading for me. And that was one of the books that I read. Oh. And, and I I loved it then, so I want to really go back and and revisit it. That imagine, was the first time yes. that you had read that one. Yes, it okay. was. Yep, and I would definitely read it again. Yeah. I've recommended it many yeah. times. Since yeah, then. it's yeah. it's a little it's darker than the rest of his stuff. Yes, it is definitely dark. I mean, obviously, it's very deep and profound right. what he's trying to say, right. but it also connected my past studies of mythology, mm, you know, mm-hmm. in college, right. they just pulled that all together. And I was really yeah. grateful for that. I love reading mythology. Mm-hmm. It was just so well done. So I'm glad to revisit it again. What is your favorite book of all time, Whitney? Time is in chunks for me, so I can't <laughs> pick one. This is the I never can either, so no, you can you can cheat. I can't pick one. For a while, it was Anne of Green Gables, that whole series. And then it was a book, and it's I still love this book, A Severe Mercy by Sheldon Benakin. I have Benakin. not read that. If you want to read a story about true love mm-hmm. and um, actually putting human love 
mm. in a, a place of idolatry mm. almost, and mm-hmm. then God coming in and rearranging it for you so mm. that your love is ordered rightly. It's mm. a true story. And the author says that it's really an autobiography of love being mm. born. It's not really his autobiography. It's the oh. autobiography of the love that he had for his wife that God then reordered mm. to love for him. So it's beautiful. I like that description of it. I'm familiar yes. with it, but I have not read it yet. I think I went to the library once to check out a copy and it they didn't have it on the shelf or something like that. But Look I will again. put that yes. <laughs> I will oh, put that on my good. list. And then the Dean's Watch, of okay. course. I I just love this book. I bought several copies for Christmas gifts. I know. It's just something everybody should read. It is. Yeah. I know. Megan told me that she you had given it to her and that she was going to read it. Yeah. So I hope. I don't know if Kate has. I need to ask her. These are some of the ladies from our book club. This isn't one of the questions, but I just want to, just because you're talking about favorite books, have you ever read any of Rumor Godden's books? Yes. Okay. And, and I've only read In This House of Okay. Green. I was going to ask that you. That is an excellent story. It was so good. Yes. I just thought, if Whitney has not read this, she has yes. to. Yep. I really enjoyed that okay, story. good. Yeah, any conversion story. I, I think that's what I'm a sucker for. So yeah. there's also, it's one I'm going to be featuring. It's called Five for Sorrow, Ten for Joy. Okay. But it's also a conversion story. It is the House of Bethany. Okay. And yeah. are you familiar yes. with it? Mm-hmm. So it's this woman who is a former prostitute and a former madam who has also been in jail for murder. Oh, my goodness. And she becomes a nun in the Sisters of Bethany. Oh, my goodness. House. It's oh. the House of Bethany. Yes. And it's so good. It's okay. really good. I'm there's like some, there's some, there's definitely some horrible characters in it, but it's also good. It's not. It's not in this house of Brie, but it's, right. it's yes. good. Oh. I also, I still love it. Okay. What is a book you haven't read, but you have always meant to read? I have shared before, mine is still Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Someday. Someday. I've read The Hobbit. <laughs> I've read the first few pages of oh. Lord of the Rings. I have never read Robinson Crusoe. I haven't either. I know that that's one that everybody should have read and that everybody did used to read. I mean, right. that used to be on everybody's shelf. I've never read Pilgrim's Progress. That's on my list this year just I, because everybody has right. read it. So. I either read an abridged version or read it in high school. Mm-hmm. But I would like to go back and yeah. read it. I'd also like to read Paradise Lost. Oh, I have only should. read, I read part of it. <laughs> this is just a, an aside. I had a terrible nightmare after oh, reading no. some of it, like an apocalyptic nightmare. And as a grown woman, this was like a few years ago. So I had to put it aside, put it aside. a little yep, bit. That's a good sign. But I was like, for, yeah. I want to go back to it because oh. so much is, so much of our people's views of the fall. Have, have definitely been shaped by that book. And I'd also like to read Dante. I've never yes, read any I'm, Dante. Yes, I'm working on the Inferno very slowly. And it's kind of fascinating. Whitney, if you could invite any author or literary characters to dinner, who would it be? And let's say three to five people or characters, you can always cheat. Who would you invite and what would you serve? It would be a smash up between okay. Anne Shirley and the Durrells from My Family and Other Animals. Do you know that's one of my favorite books? I didn't know that, but it, it is. is so funny. Yes, I would. So I would invite <laughs> Anne to tea, of course, and make a beautiful little tea. There'd yes. be a lot of doilies and things like yes. that. And then I would ask the Durrells to invite me to dinner with them and just see what happens. You know, something crazy is going to happen. So that's what I would do. I love that book. We should put that on the yes. our book club list because it's so Well, and I have to say about that book, I read it aloud to my girls and they're 16, 13 and 10 at this point. And this was maybe a year or two ago. 
And I was reading one of the chapters from my family and other animals. And my middle daughter literally fell out of her chair laughing onto the floor. She was laughing so hard. She fell out. And that's just what the story is. You know, there's always something in it. What story was it? Do you remember? I don't remember. I'll see if she remembers. Okay. So one of my favorite parts in the book is the fight between, is it the gecko and the praying mantis? Yes. I... Love that part. It's very violent. <laughs> There's a, a lot of personality given to each of those little critters. We used to have a read aloud group with people from our church. They would come over and we would all just, it would be like once a month, mm-hmm. we would just bring something to read aloud. And that was the, that's, that, that scene section. was the first one I read. Oh, I bet they were on the floor too. It was so, oh. I'm just, it's like, edge of your seat this like this drama of this this battle to the death but it's also his way of writing yes so he is funny he's just so delightful i've done a podcast episode about it i want to re i want to redo the podcast episode about it but it is definitely a an absolute favorite always will be okay Brittany. finally do you have any book recommendations to share I do. A Severe Mercy by mm-hmm. Sheldon Benakin, for sure. That is one that everyone should read who has ever loved someone. Mm. And then if you just want to be moved to rearrange your love mm. in the right order, yes. that's the book to do it as with. We, as we yes. all need. Yes. Any of the Marguerite Henry books, all I of her, King of the Wind, um, Misty of Chincoteague, White Stallion, all of those are beautiful books. So do you have to love... Horses. You don't or, have to love okay. horses at all. You could hate horses and okay. you would still love her books. Because yeah. I was never I was never the little girl who was I a horse was lover. Not either. Uh-uh. But I think my my little girl is going to be a horse yes. lover. So. And even if she doesn't, her yeah. writing is just oh, outstanding. Okay. She's an expert, obviously, on horses, but she is able to tell a story too. And she'll pick a different setting for each story. So one of them is the white stallion of Lipiza, you know, and then yeah. another one is the king of the wind that's coming from somewhere in maybe Morocco or something like that okay. up to France. Anyway, so they all take place in different parts. Do you know of how world. many books she wrote? I have no idea. So okay. many. I don't know. Because yeah. I see them at used bookstores yep. and I haven't ever picked any up. But now I yeah. definitely will. Yes, do pick them up. I would recommend The Little White Horse too. Not because yes. I love horses, but because it's such a beautiful oh, story. It is. it is really enchanting as it's well. It's a fairy tale. And yep. It's delightful. Yes. It's so good. And excellent vocabulary. I know. I mean, she just, I, she has a I really know. smart way about her. She really yeah. does. And then for laughs, I would say Cold Sassy Tree by Olive Ann Burns. Have you read that? I haven't. And Whitney, mm-hmm. I had a copy and I gave it away. Yes. Oh, dear. I will get another copy. Yes, yes. That's a good story because it takes place in commerce, you know, which is so fun to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And then My Family and Other Animals for a Laugh, but also All Creatures Great and Small by James Harriet. That's the kind where you just laugh out loud in bed and you wake your husband up because you're laughing so hard. So are you watching the new series? Yes. Oh, that's what we we look forward to every Sunday night. Yep. Mm-hmm. my husband and I sit down and watch it yep, together and that's beautiful. our that's always been our show we used to watch the older series okay and I probably have mentioned it on here before but my husband loves Helen oh. he loves Helen so much and in the older series they replace the actress and he loves that actress oh. and there's another actress like that picks up in later seasons and he 
refused to watch any more episodes (laughs) but he loves this one too and we just we love all the characters they do such a phenomenal job it's just it's so perfectly so delightful my mom used to read those aloud to us Uh when i was was growing up i was a teenager my youngest brother might have been like five or so and she would read them to all of us and we would just all like we'd either be crying or laughing laughing. and they're just the sweetest it's just the sweetest have you read the sequel to my family and other animals we're in the middle okay, of it birds yes. beast and yep. and other relatives i think that's yep. it because that was my first introduction to gerald Durrell. okay i was at Libri in switzerland in okay. 2003 and there was a couple who worked there and they we had these formal teas on sunday nights and they would read aloud to the students oh. during our meal and he would read from James Harriet, uh-huh. and then his wife was reading from Birds, Beast, and other relatives. And relatives, yes. And uh-huh. that was it. I don't know if you've gotten to the part with the turtle. Have you gotten to the where he dissects the turtle? No, no. <laughs> the driveway. Oh dear. Oh no. <laughs> so that's what. But after hearing it, I was just enthralled with the story and when i came home i found my family and other animals and read that and just just loved it so well whitney i have enjoyed this so much you will have to come again and hopefully it won't be a year (laughs) a year of me saying whitney i still want you to be on the podcast all in the right time Yes. yes well thank you so much this has just been absolutely delightful i've enjoyed it thank you yes well that's all for this week I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. So if you have a book suggestion, if you just want to have a little bookish conversation, you can email me at bethatawellreadlife.com. I also have a website that's still in the works. You can also find me there. It's awellreadlife.com. And I'm also on Instagram at wellreadbeth. Enjoy your week and cozying up with a good book and a cup of warm tea. Until next time.